Hello and welcome to episode 19 of the Long Walk to Nowhere podcast. I'm Patrick DeButler and I'm joined by author of Long Walk to Nowhere, Alan Munn. Hello, Alan. Good morning, Patrick. Well, Alan, I wanted um, us to do a sort of general podcast update. We haven't done one in a few weeks. And um, I thought it would be really interesting to give an update on the book, um, to, to talk more about our hopes for the book, to talk about a few little news stories very quickly, just to to things that have interested us recently and, and, you know, just to reconnect with our readers in the podcast. Um, so I thought I would, I would give it over to you so that we could do a little update maybe about South Africa, which I know is, is such an important thing for us and to update our listeners on what we're hoping to do with South Africa and, and Long Walk to Nowhere. And um, after that, I think we'll just talk about a, a few little stories that you and I have been discussing, which we thought might interest our listeners. Right. Well, South Africa has been a, a little bit of a disappointment in terms of marketing for, for Long Walk to Nowhere. And, you know, as a publisher of Long Standing myself in Southern Africa, you know, I, I can understand the the problems that, that my publisher now um, is facing to a degree uh, regarding, you know, marketing in South Africa because of, of the RAND uh, uh, and, and pound differentiation in terms of value. And so by the time you land a book in South Africa from from a, a sterling area, of course, it becomes quite expensive by comparison to a book that's published in South Africa because you also have to take into account all the duties and so on. And as a result, um, you know, we haven't really been able to to distribute the book or our publisher hasn't. Uh, you know, as well as, as perhaps it should have been done. And, of course, we haven't met the demand. Demand in South Africa, uh, I'm very grateful to say, has been high, but the supply has been very low because of those problems I've just outlined. But I'm told that uh, by the publishers that, um, you know, they're working very, very hard on this and trying to work out a way where, uh, book the long walk to nowhere can be landed or even distributed in some form, uh, local form, if you wish, and so that it becomes you know uh, a book that is cost effective in terms of the retail price. The demand is there, and I thank all those who who have been asking, where can I get it? Of course, you can still get it on Amazon and all the other online waterstones and so on, and direct from the publishers. Um, but you, you know, and you can still get it from, from your own bookshop, but the landed price is something I can't tell you about because I really don't know the details on that. Yes. And very quickly as an update on Amazon, um, just for any, uh, listeners or people who might've been trying to get a copy within the last few days, we sold out again recently, which I believe we've done for the fourth time this year. And um, we've been talking to the publisher to get uh, copies back in stock as quickly as possible. So there are copies of the hardcover available, um, but only from secondhand sellers on Amazon. But that should only be for a few days. So we're hoping that um, our publisher, Austin McCauley, will update uh, the system, which they, they've done every time previously. But I think in this case, there's been a little bit of a delay. Um, I think that's uh, Amazon 
UK, isn't it? I think Amazon US is still... So Amazon US absolutely still has, has some yeah. copies and um, uh, of the hardcover. And I know there's some copies of the paperback. And of course, if you want Kindle, that's always available. Um, yeah, I, loads I, and loads of people are buying Kindle. Exactly. But of course, you know, we've just done a research, a very interesting research, Patrick, um, with, with some friends and uh, other authors. Um, and, and it's quite amazing how... Many people, the question was, do you prefer a Kindle or would you prefer to read, a, you know, a proper printed book? And, and the results showed that 95% of people questioned, and there were perhaps 200 or so people, uh, preferred a proper book. Yes, exactly. And that, that's something that um, has been, been the trending in Europe, especially, is that over the last few years, when Kindles first came out, I know that they became very popular and very quickly and widely adopted in America. And in Europe, they even did quite well. And then in Europe, all of a sudden, uh, it the sales dropped dramatically, so much so that Amazon was thinking of discontinuing the Kindle in Europe because people really wanted the feel of a book, that books are very special items because, you know, they fill up a home, they, they have a physical... Feel, and even in America, sales of physical books now, I, I believe, have overtaken Kindles again. And so yes. it's, it's and people a, were saying, you know, I love the smell of a book, yes. and the feel of a book um, and, and being able to go back to the book, as you say, on the bookshelf and uh, and the, the ambience it creates in the library or in the sitting room or whatever. So I found that very interesting because the whole world today is so, you know, Internet um it's involved in everything uh, technical and digital. And it was lovely to hear that, really. Um, but still, I, I hope now that, you know, we've got so many, I think it's 31 countries we're in uh, on our podcast that you told me. And so many people, thousands of people, is it six or 7,000 listeners? Yes, yeah, so 6,000 listeners. Yeah. yeah. But now, now we're hoping that many of those will be... Um, uh, in, uh, encouraged to, to buy the book and read it because the focus, my main focus of writing the book, Patrick, was to, um, to spread the word uh, as I saw it and as many other white, white Africans see it uh, regarding uh, the situation in, in Africa today. And I, you know, because it's so important, Africa as a continent, as we've explained in previous podcasts, it's vital, I think, that people understand the causes of why Africa is in such a muddle right now. And if we can ameliorate those causes, um, so many things will change uh, on the global scene. Most importantly of all, I think, the, the refugee program. Uh, you know, when I say programs, it's, it's a problem. Um, and of course, we must always remember that refugees and migrants are different. We, you know, sometimes tend to 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 clamp them all together as one kind of entity. But a migrant leaves home for different reasons to a refugee, and, and whilst both of them are find themselves in pastures new that that aren't always culturally the same as where they came from or uh, and they feel a little bit like a fish out of water. Their reasons for going to wherever it is they went are, are very, very different. And, and, and of course, the refugees, the, the one that we all are concerned about, we're concerned for the refugee, uh, 
and we're also concerned for the the countries that are endeavouring to you know to 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 house them, and we're also concerned for the, their lives as they try to reach this utopia that doesn't exist. Um, so all in all, these all these uh, problems that we are facing, the ripple effects globally, stem from the causes the problems in the homelands of the refugees. And those causes are usually, and most importantly, uh, 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 surrounded by the the fact that the country is ruled by kleptocrats, autocrats, who are self-seeking and are making the refugees' lives totally unacceptable. And, you know, they, they cannot live there anymore. So we have to stop those. And the book... Long Walk to Nowhere, tries very hard to explain this because without knowing this, the world will never solve these problems. Yes, and I, I think there's so many issues um, which are in the news. And what, what I've always loved about, about working with you on the book and, and really why I think your book, uh, so many people will be interested if they read your, your book from start to finish, is that so many of the issues that come up in the media and that we always talk about from refugees, from global crisis, from the environment, from politics, from the problems with politics, are all dealt with in your book. And they're, they're all stories which you've experienced in one way or another in Africa, in Zimbabwe, in which you think about and you talk about. And even, you know, given the, the states, for example, of the Afghan refugee situation and the Haitian refugee situation, um, I know that we, we were talking about this recently about you know, what was happening with Haitian refugees in America, which is in it in of itself quite a shocking story. The idea that black Haitians uh, who are sometimes spending as long as seven years trying to reach America are being put in chains around their hands and feet like the transatlantic slave trade and being flown back as a message, as the American um, State Department said a few days ago. They said it was a message to other refugees um, which is the tremendous irony, of course, of a country which has had to deal with so much of a racist history um, of putting black Haitians, uh, who, are, who are often very hardworking carpenters and bricklayers who spent many years trying to get to America to work and, and being put in chains. And there, there's so many issues which are part of the past. And, you know, your book deals a lot with history, with African history. Um, from the past to the present. And, and I think it's a great guide for people who read it and to realize, you know what, these, these issues have been around for a very long time. And, and the book can be a wonderful, I think, guide and very illuminating. Um, and oh, well, thank, thanks, Patrick. I appreciate those, you know, those sentiments. But uh, you, you mentioned the, 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 the Haiti problem. Of course, the hypocrisy of America right now it fills me with with sadness, grief, and actually a little bit of anger because, you know, when you go back to, to say, say the Rhodesian story back before Zimbabwe became Zimbabwe, the Americans were so um, forceful uh, in, their, in their desire to ensure that um, anything white in terms of governmental management, must be obliterated and replaced, you know, with 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 something new in their terms, something different, a kind of vindication of their their colonial past, their, their you know their, their their guilt syndrome, shall we say? 
and, and, and their history, and not just their history, but their current methods are shameful when it comes to racial um, disharmony and the way they're treating people. I mean, white Africans never would ever consider, you know, the, the, the things that, that are happening now with, with, with the Haitians and others, other, other so, uh, immigrants, people trying to find a life. We would never, ever think like that or behave like that. And it's shameful that, um, you know, Africa today is what it is today because of the, of the West mainly. They're, they're premature winds of change uh, that created an, an absolute chaos, especially in Southern Africa, where, you know, inexperienced people were, 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 were put into power and then they became self-seeking despots who liberate, didn't liberate anyone except themselves. And America's never apologized for that. They've never even admitted to that failure. Uh, agreed, Harold Macmillan, the then Prime Minister of Britain, did in his memoirs say that the winds of change, in his opinion, were perhaps, perhaps premature. But I've never heard an American politician say, goodness me, we, we, you know, we should have rethought that. And look at what's happening in that country today. It's shameful, Patrick. Well, I think also I, I was saying to you the other day is the role of the media and what I'm, I'm often very surprised by is how little the media the media loves to stoke fires and I, it loves to sell controversy because it's it it makes it sell copies and it's good business for them but um as a british citizen i, I told you one story just out of many 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 that you could talk about is the Meghan markle story because it's such good press for the press in in the uk and in the us in particular but internationally but um one thing i told you that i was very shocked about is Britain in the past historically has, of course, had problems with racism, and, and I don't think anybody's ever denied that. But modern Britain, which I've found on the whole to be a, a pretty inclusive place in my experience, and having lived in America, where I was often quite shocked at, at what I saw, um, you know, even living in a place which was considered very advanced in America and California. And what I was very shocked about in the story is that when Meghan Markle said that she, she had to leave Britain because she found it such a racist place, and this sort of went unquestioned in the media in a lot of parts, and, and she went back to America and saying how great America was compared. And I found that incredibly shocking, and also I don't understand why the media never challenged it, because if Britain was such a racist country, um, how on earth did she marry to, manage to marry into the, the most exclusive family in Britain? How did she manage to marry into the royal family? How, how did she manage to have a wedding celebrated by millions and millions of people? Um, if Britain well, was welcoming a, her. If Britain and the Queen welcomed her and, and the entire mm. family. And, and mm. for her to spit in the face of Britain and to say, well, that Britons were just racist and it was so horrible. I, I find that incredibly shocking because, especially considering America's current racial problems, but also to come over to a country and to be accepted. In, in, into a family that is is the most exclusive family that you can potentially have in Britain and, and the Commonwealth, and to be made a member of that family and and to be accepted into the country and to be accepted as a citizen of that country and then to just say oh what, and I found that very shocking and it's just one example of many but but to me it's also the role of the media plays a great deal and I think that's something you very much talk about and you talk about in the book is is the problems the media can cause and, and how little effort is often made to get to the truth of, of stories in the media because the media is very self-serving 
and I think people feel a great yes. deal of frustration I, with the media. You know, I, I was a media owner myself. I was one of the largest media owners in sub-Saharan Africa. And so I know, I know how tempting as a media owner it is to just publish your own feelings, your own stories, and, and bend this and bend that to the, you know, the advantage of, of your particular um, agenda. It's very, very easy to do that as a media owner. Um, I always tried, and, and I think the record shows that, you know, from, from sales of my, of my magazines that sadly no longer exist, and our newspapers and so on, that, that, that our circulation showed, because it was so uh, varied, that our, our news was, was as balanced as we, we hoped it, you know, it, it should be. But mm -hmm. I asked today, who are the media owners? Why are they, you know, where are, where are the monopolistic uh, organizations that, that, that ban and stop and try to discourage monopolistic um, um, monopolies? Yeah. Because monopolies, you know, in the media right now, I mean, who owns what? Do, you know, are there, are there three or four or five people who own all the media in the world today? And are they all pretending to be, uh, you know, opposition, but actually all working together with a story that they want to, you know, the world to hear. I'm asking these questions. I don't know. I have no proof that this is so. Yes. But when one reads and hears and, you know, uh, watches uh, television and, and, and all the other media, one questions this. One with a brain questions this. Um, because there's no balance. And funnily enough, you know, I was, I was just watching last night a brand new television channel called TRT, which is a, a, a Turkish um, television station. I've never heard of them. And I was astounded at the balance that, the, you know, the, the professional newscaster and anchorwoman uh, portrayed. In fact, I shall be listening to that, that, that television um, station tonight again. And funnily enough, I think it's, it's beamed out of um, um, Washington. I'm not sure, but I think it is. But, you know, I, I, can't, I can't listen to the other traditional media much anymore because I really find it terribly biased. Well, listen, I think the great thing about today that you do have is you have alternative voices. Um, you have voices um, such as Long Walk to Nowhere, just as an example, but, but lots of independent voices around where you can get, um, you know, a, a, a different take on a story than, than you might have done in traditional media, which has become very consolidated. They're, they're, they're very few owners of media. Most of them are big corporations. So you get a very fixed view. And we've seen in France, for example, in the recent election with Eric Zemmour, who's tried to run on the center right, and who's been it hasn't happened to any other journalist in France, just him, because he happens to be running and very, very being very popular against Macron. They've cancelled his television appearances. He's his publisher cancelled him. He had to go and publish his own book and it, he managed to sell 200,000 copies in a week, uh, even though his traditional publisher in Paris cancelled him. And so I think what we're finding now is that a lot of the more traditional medias, which only want to hear a very limited set of opinions that suit them, there are lots of ways to bypass them today. And, you know, that's one of the great things of Long Walk to Nowhere is that we're able to talk about issues in, in the way that we want. And we've been able to do this through the podcast, through doing Clubhouse, um, you know, through reaching out to social media and, and, and talking to people and to talk very as honestly as we feel that we can. 
And, and long may that last. Long and long may, may it that... last. And we don't expect everyone to agree with us. And I think that's the great thing. You don't expect everyone to agree with you. I don't expect No, I else. welcome controversy because, you know, I learn. I don't know everything. No, exactly. None of us know um, everything. Else. I have loads of experience because, you know, time has allowed me that privilege. But my goodness, I've made loads of mistakes in my life. And I've tried my best to learn from them. But um, I don't know everything. And I want to know more. Um, and, and that's why I get so frustrated by listening to things that I know, I know cannot be true and balanced. You know, and, and even in the political field, Patrick, I'm finding now that, you know, with diff different political parties that, you know, the public are actually not voting for a particular candidate because they like him or her or prefer him or hers policies, they're voting for those people because they cannot stand the opposition. So it isn't as if they're, you know, saying, well, this chap or this lady is the best. They're saying, well, actually, we, we would rather have these because that's all we've really got there. The other candidate is just so awful, we can't bear the thought of having them there anymore. And it's the same with the media. Yes. You know, it, it's no longer a question of, wow, that's really something that I want to listen to or really someone I want to vote for. It's, it's just the best of two evils. And that isn't democracy. No, and I think, I think if, if um, we're, we're going to leave on one message, I, I would say it, of course, you know, being your agent and representing the book, but I would, I would say, you know, I'd really say to people, go, go and read Long Walk to Nowhere. If you want uh, to hear Alan's point of view, you don't have to agree with it. And I think, as Alan has just said, he would, he would welcome um opposite and opposite viewpoints to his but we feel that it's a voice talking about subjects which are very controversial now because i think the media has made them very controversial and i think politicians have often done it to their own benefit but if you want to read about one man's vision and his honest vision about how he feels about africa and and about politics and all the rest i would say you know please come and read the book and um you know, we so enjoy reaching out uh, to readers and listeners, and we're going to do everything we can to make the book available in South Africa. We, you know, we worked really hard to get it available, to make it available in Australia, which we have. And, you know, we're working really hard to keep it, you know, stocked in bookshops, which, you know, we're in, in Daunt Books in, in London, um, in Marlebone. And, you know, it's it's been a long journey. And, you know, it's difficult sometimes to get a, a voice like yours out there with all the competition but you know we've we've managed and you know even our publishers said to us you know you've, you've done really well to to get it out as far as you have and and you know we hope that's something that will keep on being supported by by listeners and readers and um you know it's it's a book and a journey we really want to keep alive because we feel there's there's worth to it and it's, yeah it's a conversation and i want to thank that. those who bought, bought the, you know patrick gave me some I don't have access to all the logistics and I don't have his clever brain to be able to work them all out. <laughs> but you, you gave me um, some statistics the other day, which I really was interested in, that 97% uh, um, of books today, uh, um, how many, uh, two, was it 200? No, it's was it's it two, it's million, two million books have been, are in that category of uh, unknown authors or um, yes, so, so we were we were doing the market research, and the latest figures in the UK are that they're two and a half. I think there are about two point six million books published every year in the UK, and I think about two point five million of those sell a hundred copies or less. Um, 
So that could be anywhere from Gosh, one copy. That's to not uh, very very many copies. And you know, but, so, but we're luckily enough we're we're in the three percent. That's way above that. Yeah, your publisher. I mean, that that's those figures aren't coming from us. Your publisher has said, you know, that you know we're really lucky in the in the last year. Um, when we look at the figures of the book, we've sold more than than ninety seven percent of those people. So so we're incredibly lucky. So obviously the message is getting out there, and there's so many people trying to get a message out there. You know, it's a huge amount of books published every year. And so we're just very grateful for all the readers who have yes. managed to put us in that place because, you know, um, we're not J.K. Rowling. But, you know, the great thing is that we, we are getting people to read the book. And that's that's wonderful. And, and we're very grateful for it because it's a very, very competitive market. It's very difficult to get people to, to books with the number of books published. And so we're at, the, at the risk of sounding cynical, it, it seems that, you know, books that are fictional, these days, you know, and well written, of course, are the ones that are selling, and, and those that try and, uh, you know, be factual, perhaps don't have the appeal. And of course, that's understandable because you know they don't have the commercial appeal, and and the focus, the target markets are are very tight and and uh, confined. Uh, but Long Walk to Know it does have, hopefully, has a, a broad appeal, but it isn't, as you say, J.K. Rowling, and never will ever be and never was written to be but it's so so heartening that we've done done so well and we thank you know the readers very much for for their support on this because it's the message that matters to us the message that in fact um uh, there is hope for the, our world but we must look at the causes and remember that we're a collective entity you know one of the things i've often discussed with patrick is that we we all we often talk about the human race but i i i don't see it as a human race i see it as a species a human species and i think if we could get rid of that word race and just see ourselves as a collective species and as such that species if it has any intelligence at all uh, and understanding of what survival is because we all want to survive as a species then we should work together yes. and forget about the race forget about race doesn't matter anymore uh, you know i'm not bothered what you know what 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 anyone's color of their skin is it doesn't worry me in the slightest uh, my mother when she turned blind and i mentioned this in the book taught me an awful lot she said you know son when when i turned blind I suddenly realized how how um, silly it, it was to be a racist because I couldn't see who I was talking to. So the color of their skin meant absolutely nothing to me at all. It was just the content of what they said, the ambience, the feel, the kindness, the caring that they gave me. That mattered. And um, I learned such a lot from, from that simple little saying, you know, so let's, let's remember we are a species we're not we're not we're not a race and let's work together if we can and, and um, make the world a better place exactly and i think um let's keep on on going so as we were saying we'll probably be pausing and we won't be putting out as much um podcasts as before but we will be concentrating on 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 um on the book and the message of the book and we're still very much pushing it and uh we're just so grateful, um, as always, to everybody who buys it and who recommends it to friends. And and I just think it's it's such a fun journey as well, to be on, to be honest. And that, that's what makes it worthwhile. It's it's been so fun working with you and so fun 
taking a message and at a time when you know so many there's so many different messages on these subjects um i was laughing i think i was telling you that the new york times uh which is you know the most important american newspaper in many ways the most important media source in america because of how it sets the agenda for for the establishment and i think it had two front page articles which were one of them was why the american flag needed to be changed to a blm flag with a gay pride uh flag in the middle of it and i just thought that was that was quite funny because only only you know the, the sort of new york times with all the problems in the world could be concentrating on that and second of all as reported in the new york times itself uh there are a lot of problems between the blm community and the the gay community so it would be quite a quite a you'd be going from one flag which they they don't seem to approve of to another flag with a whole other set of problems which i thought was quite funny but anyway just just as one they compartmentalizing again you know uh, they're putting people in boxes you know whether they're color boxes or age boxes or are they fat or thin or short or tall or left or right or center or gay or straight we don't need that we just need to know are they decent people and can we speak with them and trust them and enjoy their company and get along and be positive and make this world work let's come out of all these boxes let's become a species a collective species that understands that there are also other species who are trying to survive perhaps less communicative or powerful uh, and intelligent perhaps than we are but nonetheless we have a, we have a duty in that regard yes uh, and and we have a duty on climate change that's also something we talk of in the book you know i i was you know a co-founder of the environment africa foundation back in the 90s which today i understand is one of the the largest um ngos manned um or women womaned by um by africans alone and i had i have i can't take the credit for it but they they're doing a wonderful job and you know these are people who the world look upon as the ones who are creating the devastation they not you know the people in in places in, in africa and and and, and the, may i call them the, the less developed worlds i i think they're the more developed worlds quite frankly in some ways but they term the less developed worlds they are the least they they, they offend the least when it comes to, to climate change yet they are the ones that are suffering the most and and you know i know because i was i was back in africa recently and i watched and saw these rural folk the young chaps you know and late girls and boys and so intent upon planting trees and and saving the woodlands and talking of proudly talking of conservation and so on and 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 you know not not harming the animals and trying to keep the animals safe you don't read about that you only you only read about you know the devastation that's caused by africans and it's not true it's not true who are the who are the perpetrators of the poachers who are the the ringleaders not the africans the african poachers are poor chaps who have no food no money who are, who are, who are, who are bribed into you know taking all these amounts of money to go and shoot a rhino and then bring the horn back the horn which means nothing to them the horn has no significance to them at all you know they're puppets uh who it's the causes who are causing these things who are the people behind this it's not the africans and um we have to understand that and the book tries to explain that so going back to the species thing remember we're a species that's what i'm trying to remember all the time 
Well, Alan, I think that's a wonderful message to leave this podcast on. And uh, thank you once again for everyone who comes and listens to us uh, in all 31 countries, uh, all 6,000 of you so far. Um, thank you very much. And uh, yeah, and onwards and upwards with, with Long Walk to Nowhere and the message of it. And um, we can't wait to get it into to new markets like South Africa and, and to, to keep the, the adventure of the book going and the message of the book and the conversation of the book. Um, and may I end by saying that many people have uh, co commented on your professional hosting, Patrick. They've really enjoyed and your knowledge, historical knowledge, uh, you know, I, I'm always, you know, astounded by it. And I've, it's been a great privilege for me to work with you. So well, I'm very uh, flattered. In, 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 in the final word must be mine to say thank you to you. <laughs> well, thank you. It's, it's and good, goodbye for now to all those uh, who have followed us. And goodbye, goodbye to now to everyone for myself as well. And, and thank you, Adam. We've all great words. Bye. From Zimbabwe. Zimbabwe. I cry for Zimbabwe.